I want to tell you about a podcast you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Urtube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and it busts common myths about special education. As a parent myself of a child who's had an IEP since kindergarten and he's now a 10th grader, I know how confusing, overwhelming, frustrating, sometimes daunting the whole process can be. I checked out an episode of Understood Explains called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 Plans. And what I love about it is how easily Juliana explains everything. She answers common questions that probably every parent or caregiver has. She dispels myths and is concise and to the point. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. And there's a direct link in the show notes if you need it. Hey, everyone. Before we get started, I wanted to jump in and let you know if you are like me and you're losing sleep and trying to figure out how you can help the people in Ukraine and feeling a little overwhelmed and helpless over here in the United States or maybe you're in Canada, I found a really great article that has a handful of links where you can go and choose which which direction you want to support. It's an NPR or article That link will be in the show notes. It's everything from UNICEF to Doctors Without Borders, uh, International Red Cross, um, the UN Refugee Agency, et cetera, et cetera. And you can read about each of these humanitarian efforts and choose one or more that you would like to help. I know that I'm using this to be able to, to help in any way that we can. So that link will be in the show notes. One of the things that heals trauma is healthy, safe, and loving relationships. And so do not be discouraged. Know that there are many treatment modalities out there. If maybe you've tried, for example, a CBT therapist and you felt like you hit a wall, maybe you did EMDR and you felt like it didn't really work for you. There are many different approaches and you can absolutely heal. You're listening to Make Some Noise Podcast, episode number 439 with guest Vanessa Pezzo. Welcome to Make Some Noise Podcast, your guide for strategies, tools, and insight to empower yourself. I'm your host, Andrea Owen, global speaker, entrepreneur, life coach since 2007, and author of three books that have been translated into 18 languages and are available in 22 countries. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a lesson that will help you maximize unshakable confidence, master resilience, and make some noise in your life. You ready? Let's go. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad that you're here. Did you know that today is the first episode since the first day of spring? And if you've been around these parts long enough, you know how I feel about spring. It is my favorite time of year, probably since we moved to a place where spring is so beautiful out here in the South. It's just stunning. It's my absolute favorite. It feels like a fresh new start. And speaking of fresh new starts, if you missed the open house, the virtual open house I hosted yesterday, if you're listening to this, the day that this podcast comes out on March 29th, I did a virtual open house and it was all about the Daring Way curriculum. 
Brene Brown's methodology. And I went over it in case anyone is interested in going through it privately. But more specifically, this is the curriculum we're going to be covering at the Daring Way Retreat that is happening in Asheville, North Carolina this September, hosted by yours truly. And I went over the curriculum. I answered some questions. I gave away some books. And the recording is available at andreaowen.com slash meet in case you couldn't be there live. We missed you. We really did. And I just am happy that people are you know, getting to know what the curriculum is if they're interested in the retreat or doing it with me on a, on a private basis. And if you are interested in that retreat, you can head on over to andreaowen.com slash retreat. All the information is there and you can sign up. We have a few spaces available. All right. So Vanessa Pezo is our guest today. We are continuing with a series around different modalities, learning about different modalities for therapy. We're talking about trauma. Uh, Vanessa has a new thing that we haven't covered yet. So I'm, I'm really excited for you to meet her and to hear this conversation. So for those of you that don't know her, Vanessa Pezo, LCSW, is a licensed therapist and trauma specialist based in Long Beach, California. In her private practice, Vanessa specializes in serving diverse survivors of complex trauma using EMDR, cognitive behavioral therapy, narrative exposure therapy, and somatic techniques to help survivors of trauma find healing and recovery. Vanessa's interest in trauma began in graduate school, where her master's thesis focused on the use of mindfulness in the treatment of sexual assault survivors. Since then, Vanessa has also worked in community mental health and nonprofit settings as a clinician, a clinical trainer, and victim advocate, as well as taught at Cal State Long Beach. Vanessa works from an anti-oppressive and social justice-informed lens, considerate of the impact of systemic oppression on mental health, and believes that all humans are deserving of compassionate and culturally responsive care. So without further ado, here is Vanessa. (laughs) Vanessa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, Andrea. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. We are on, you probably don't know this, but so I'll fill you in. We're on a, we're on a trauma kick here, if you will. I've sort of, I sort of organized this year's podcast into topics and we're, we're talking a lot about healing from trauma and, you know, how do, how, what are the different modalities? And I'm, I'm happy to have brought my listeners so many different avenues to, to healing. And we have, we have talked about EMDR here on the show previously and how it can help with the treatment for trauma, but can you, cause I know you talk about, um, several different, you know, wounds, if you will, that people have. So can you tell us how EMDR can help with other types of distress and maybe not just trauma? Sure. EMDR is a really fantastic treatment and it can be used for a variety of concerns. And so when you think about how EMDR works, it really works in the way that we don't identify like a symptom or a behavior. It's just this kind of innate problem that you have. We see it as the result of a potentially traumatic or stressful life event 
Um, there was something that happened along the way where maybe that was the appropriate response. Maybe it was even a survival strategy. And over time, that can become, in a way, like habitual, right? It can be triggered in other circumstances. And so mm-hmm. folks could come in and have things related to trauma that they really want to work on. But EMDR can also be used for things like performance anxiety, you know, maybe public speaking, maybe phobias, like a fear of flying. And so what we would do is really start with what's happening in the here and now, what's the concern or what's the maybe problem that you're having. And you will work with your therapist to understand what emotions are triggered. How does it make you feel about yourself? What does it bring up for you regarding cognitions? Like, I can't do this. I'm powerless. I'm out of control. And your EMDR therapist will then say, okay, so that's what we're going to work on. But let's try to figure out where this started. So they will have you engage in what we call a float back, where you connect to the emotion, the sensation, the cognitions that you feel in that present moment around that problem. And then we just ask you to kind of gently allow yourself to float back, to kind of think, when were other times I have felt this way? Sometimes those experiences that you float back to feel really obvious. So for example, maybe you were working on a fear of flying. You float back and you remember, well, you know, a couple of years ago, I had really bad turbulence and I was really scared on a plane. And I recognize since then I have had a really hard time flying. And you say, okay, well, that's a pretty, you know, strong connection. That makes a lot of Mm -hmm. sense. But other times it's not quite so obvious. You know, we might do that float back and you remember there was a time that I was a kid and my mom dropped me off at daycare and I felt really scared and I felt really powerless. And it feels very similar. And so maybe the connection is more so just these are times where I feel very out of control or very helpless, but we can then target that memory. And that is in a way the root of that present day trigger. So you would be sometimes surprised at how certain concerns you have here in the present day can be helped by looking at some of those past experiences, even when they're not necessarily so obvious. I wasn't aware that it also worked for kind of everyday fears and phobias like flying or public speaking. And I imagine, I don't know this for sure, but maybe you can tell us that maybe someone who is apprehensive about walking into doing EMDR for their trauma, maybe starting with something that's a little less traumatic, if you will, (laughs) like everyday fears and then maybe move into that. Do some, do some clients do that? Oh, absolutely. So with EMGR, you know, of course, when we think about it, we think of, we're really targeting those core deep traumas. And that is something that you can use EMDR for. But when we work with trauma survivors, we also have to recognize that typically there are concerns around power and control because a lot of trauma takes away your sense of power and your sense of control. So a trauma-informed therapist is going to make sure that the treatment is paced appropriately for the client because we don't want to give the client the sensation that in the therapy room, they also don't have power and control. Something I often do with my clients because they are usually survivors of complex trauma, which means they've experienced trauma often chronically throughout their lifespans, is I want to start where they're most comfortable. And so sometimes that is starting instead of targeting that memory, maybe we start with the present day trigger. So it is the sitting on the plane, not necessarily the experience of the daycare. Another thing that EMG actually does is you can target past, present, and future. So when you do a full EMDR protocol, you are at some point going to process past trauma. You're going to process present triggers. 
And you're actually going to use EMDR, imagining a future situation that could trigger this response so that you can respond in a different way. You can kind of get that experience of feeling different in that situation. So I've actually had clients where we start with the future. So we start with Mm -hmm. what are things coming up that are going to be really stressful? Can you imagine what it's going to be like? And use EMDR around that first. They can develop a sense of power, control, and even mastery. And as they're comfortable, we can start working our way back. So it's very flexible. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't, I didn't know the ins and outs of it like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. I have a very personal question. And the only reason I'm going to ask this, well, selfish reasons, obviously, but (laughs) I feel like I know there's people listening who have unexplained phobias. I don't think I've ever asked anyone, any expert on the show this. So, so congratulations, Vanessa. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) So for as long as I can remember, I have had a fear of pool drains, Hmm. really any drains at all. Uh, the shower drain, I do not touch it with my bare feet. I always straddle it. And I always kind of have to have one eye open to keep my eye on it. It's, it's kind of life hindering. And then I found out, um, a, a handful of years ago that it has a name because it's not just pool drains. It's any, it, it's sub mechanophobia and it's any man-made object that's either partially submerged or fully submerged in water. So this is like buoys, um, piers that go out into the water, like even like the hair is standing up on the back of my neck, just talking about it. And it's, it's a little embarrassing. It's sort of ridiculous. Like why on earth? Like I've, I don't know where it came from. The only thing I can, I can pinpoint is that way back in the eighties, when I was growing up, there were a handful of, this is before they had um, like safety things, I think on, on jacuzzi drains and pool drains, there were a handful of children and adults that got stuck and tragically drowned. And I've always had long hair. I know. And we got a jacuzzi and my parents, they didn't put the fear of God in me around it, but they just were like, make sure you put your hair up when you go in the jacuzzi. And ever since there, I was terrified. I would go in, but I would make sure never to touch it with my bare feet. So what, why? <laughs> and then, okay. One more thing. I've also read that there are some people that think that something tragic happened in a past life that makes you have these unexplained phobias. What is your opinion on that? Like, I want to know what your opinion is on all of that. That is really interesting. And you know, what's so funny is as you were talking about that, I remember growing up, it must've been the eighties or nineties and seeing that on a Baywatch episode and having a similar fear. Yes. <laughs> Someone like, I remember like their ring or something got caught in the drain. And so I can really uh, empathize here because it was terrifying as a kid to think. Apparently it's also in that movie. um, What is the name of it? Where, oh my gosh, everyone's going to DM me on Instagram to tell me where there was, there was a bunch of them, like all the different ways to die or something. Um, Final destination. That's what it was. It was in one of those. I did not. Nope. Did not see it, but okay. Anyway, (laughs) that is really interesting. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. 
Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. You know, I think that there are a lot of different ways to work with phobia. I have also heard about, you know, that it could be something connected in a past life. I don't know that I necessarily have the best expertise in that. Um, But, you know, when you talk about trauma, we do definitely talk about intergenerational trauma. And so that we can carry sometimes responses to situations that actually maybe our mother or even our grandmother experienced. There's a lot of really interesting research around that. And there's this book called It Didn't Start With You that talks about um, generational trauma. That's really interesting. Oh, it's a fantastic book. And they go into it could have been it could have been a past um, generation before me that was in um, a sinking ship because Mm. sunken ships are an absolute absolute no. Mm-hmm. I don't like any of that. Mm-hmm. I don't mind. It doesn't scare me as much if there's just, it's a little creepy, but if it's natural things like rocks and trees and sticks and fish, like that's fine. Cause it was meant to be there, but there's some, the worst is water park drains because they're so gigantic. There's something about the machinery. Anyway, oh, yeah, those, I'll move on. I can imagine that those are terrifying. <laughs> it's terrifying. Yeah. Also zombies. I have a, I have a very ridiculous fear about zombies. I can't even watch the trailer for the walking dead. I, I think that one is related to my husband thinks this is so funny. I feel like that is something that could really happen that like you're just your family. Turns anyway, I'll move on. <laughs> Vanessa's like, <laughs> I mean, with the way things are going in the world today, I think we have to be ready for anything. So I can feel you on the that trees one. start talking. Yeah. Okay. I hope that didn't scare anybody. I, I, okay. One, one thing that I was super fascinated with that you do that, that is on your site that you talk about that I've never heard about is narrative exposure therapy. So can you tell us what it is and kind of like, you know, how does it help someone, um, in the, during the therapy process? Narrative exposure therapy is actually a therapy that was designed to help people who had experienced, um, chronic complex trauma. So we're talking about like people who've gone through wars, people who have gone through, you know, ongoing political strife and other things. 
When you look at a lot of the trauma modalities that are out there, people would often see that they target what people will call an index event. So you think about like, there was this one major trauma I had in my life. And since then, I've had a really hard time getting past it. So you can think of like maybe a car accident or an assault. But with a lot of the people that I work with in the community, you know, their lives have been impacted by several different traumas, some related and some unrelated. And we really needed a way to work with folks like that, you know, who are not just trying to get back to quote unquote normal life after a really significant event, but people whose lives have been impacted by trauma throughout. So when you think about narrative exposure therapy, it's a way of honoring the different life experiences that you've had, both positive and negative, what was impactful. So with narrative exposure therapy, what we do is we have you create a timeline and you create a timeline of your life, highlighting both negative and positive impactful events. Um, We also have you do something called flowers and stones. So you assign each event, either a flower or stone, and you can add as many stones or as many flowers as you think makes sense. And so what you see is that you can kind of understand the lifespan over time. You could see the different life events that you've had. You can also recognize that some were very significantly negative. You'll also see sometimes that there are some events people will highlight that are a mix of both negative and positive. So it really helps to bring in the context around experiences and then the client and I will work through the stones using storytelling. So the modality was designed to use writing. So either you tell the story to the therapist about the event and they kind of help you to write it out and you create almost like a biography or an autobiography of your life. I've also Mm -hmm. had clients who have done artwork for each event. They've done poetry, they've done drawings. And so we honor each stone kind of week by week or over several weeks, depending on what the event is. We talk about what it was like. We engage the client in the story. We talk about what it meant and how it's impacted you. And one of the reasons why it's so beautiful is because it can really help someone to understand why certain things happen the way that they did, why they responded to certain situations in certain ways, and how it kind of fits into their life story. Because sometimes we look back on events and we think, you know, man, why didn't I do this? Or only I had done this? Or why did this have to happen? But when you see it on the timeline, you can kind of see like, you know, no wonder I didn't ask anyone for help at that time. Look at everything else that was going on, going on in my life then. And so it really gives that context that is so often missing in the way that we remember trauma. Because we remember trauma in the way that it felt. You know, we can feel it in our bodies. We can feel all of those emotions and sensations all over again. And so it mm-hmm. often lacks context. And so it can be a really wonderful way of, you know, working through some of those events and also seeing how it all kind of fits together. And also then as we get to the end, we can start to really think about the future and what type of life do we want and how do we want to move forward? Yes. Okay. So do you think that, I love that they're, that it's sort of um, based in creativity Mm -hmm. and, you know, you mentioned that, that it was made to, to be used as, you know, like more of a writing tool but you have people do, do drawing and um, poetry and things like that. And I, you know, sometimes when I'm facilitating 
some, some work and there's a creative project, I'll get like groans and eye rolls. And so I would love for you to tell the audience, (laughs) in your opinion, how do you find that creativity helps people process things? Um, and maybe some other benefits that, that isn't just about the processing of it. Creativity is an amazing tool. And a lot of us can sometimes get kind of stuck in our thinking brain. We live in a very cognitive world or what sometimes you'll hear trauma therapists call top down. We're very much in our thinking Mm -hmm. brain. And what we know about trauma is that it really lives in the body. And so sometimes our thinking brain can't quite access the healing that we need to really process something. So using other tools that can tap into our creativity, for example, drawing or even collaging or, you know, writing poetry can help us to get to a different place because it kind of takes us outside of our rational thinking brain and helps us look at things in a different way. You know, for some people, they are really attracted to art and creativity and it's a great tool. For other people, it may feel kind of like awkward or even outside of their comfort zone. Um, And that's an important reason why trauma therapy should be very client focused and led. You don't want to really do something that feels super uncomfortable and out of your control, but it can be a really great tool into looking and processing things in a different way. I love that. Thank you for explaining that so well. And yes, I have. I've often found that, and I'm always surprised a little bit where I'm like, well, that, that journaling was really helpful. And, <laughs> but I know logically that it does help, but sometimes it can feel like, oh, I got to do this extra work or, you know, can't I just think my way through this? Can I just think my way into healing? And I just want to emphasize to everyone listening that creativity absolutely can be so helpful. I want to quote you for a second because I, I pulled this from your website and I, I really I really love this and would like you to to kind of unpack it and and speak more on it. So you say, after a trauma, we can sometimes fall into unhelpful patterns of thinking that change the way we view ourselves, others, and the world. So for any listeners grappling with that, can you can you say more? Yes. After trauma, we often have a new belief about ourselves. So for example, if something that we see as really bad happens to us, or maybe multiple things, we may start to think like, I'm a bad person because bad things always happen to me, or there's something wrong with me. And that is why there are all of these things going on in my life that feel very much out of control. Another thing that can happen is it can change how we feel about other people. So if maybe our trust has been broken or we feel like we've been violated in some way, we may start to shift into very black and white thinking, such as like, no one can be trusted. The world is a very dangerous place and I cannot be safe here. And so we tend to be on guard. We tend to be on high alert and we tend to have a difficult time connecting with other people. And when we really think about it, it comes from a place of just wanting to be safe and wanting to protect ourselves, but we can get caught up in what almost becomes like a thinking rut where it starts to be really difficult to see people or see the world outside of that. And if we move through life thinking I'm a bad person and bad things happen to me, or I can't be safe with other people, I have to always be on guard, we can imagine how much smaller our world can get. And that can be one of the real tragedies of living with a lot of trauma is that it's hard to fully engage and be in the joy of life because we feel the need to be on guard and protected all of the time. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that could be one of the main focuses of the work you do in therapy or with your healers is starting to feel safe in connection with others 
and starting to see yourself with a little bit more kindness and compassion, which I think, you know, we could all use at times, but is especially important in trauma work. That quote that I pulled is from, is from the CBT, the cognitive behavioral therapy section in your website, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. And I mean, a CBT was one of thinking back on my long therapy history. I think it was one of the first exercise slash modalities that I actually did. Yes. <laughs> I was in such a painful place of panic attacks and anxiety, just thoughts that would run away from me so quickly that I felt like I, it was a runaway train that I couldn't, I couldn't get off of. And my therapist started teaching me about it and gave me a simple worksheet mm-hmm. to, to work out. And that's what she said that this was. And I, I, I think I probably reluctantly did it, but I was so desperate for help to not, you know, I had insomnia and it just was terrible and it was so helpful. And I still, I still fall back on it today. Sometimes when I, I mean, my anxiety is not nearly as bad as it was when I was in my twenties. Um, and I also talked to my kids about it too, just, you know, kind of reeling it back in. And sometimes please speak to this. I think sometimes when someone's mental health is so challenged that like, is there a place where your mental health is so challenged where CBT doesn't work, where you need something, something different? There's no modality. There's no trauma. There's no therapy really. That's going to be right for everyone. And so Mm -hmm. there are things about CBT that, and when we say that it's cognitive behavioral therapy, There are things about CBT that can be incredibly helpful. And for some folks with trauma, there are also some things about CBT that can feel invalidating. And so I definitely want to honor and kind of hold space for both. You know, like you mentioned, you did the worksheet, right? It's very cognitive, like what we were just talking about. It's very much in your head. And it is like learning strategies to deal with your mental health. One thing um, CBT therapists talk about is you're kind of teaching people to be their own therapist so that they don't need you anymore, which is always our goal as therapists, right? We want to kind of Mm -hmm. work our way out of the job. So with CBT, it really is for me, or at least this is how I view it. It's kind of a foundational piece because when you're using CBT, you're learning about the connections between your thoughts, your feelings, and your behaviors and how they all impact one another. So like, for example, if I am feeling very sad, I may decide that I'm going to stay in bed all day. That's the behavior. If I stay in bed all day, I may feel more tired. I may start to think, wow, I'm so lazy. What am I doing in bed all day? And then I'm going to get more sad. And if I'm more sad, I may want to stay in bed longer. And so you can kind of start to see how these things can all impact you in a negative way. So you would, with your therapist, learn, right? If I'm having that thought, and I want to maybe feel better, I may have to do a different behavior. I may have to change the way I'm responding to that thought or to that feeling. I really love CBT when I too was early in my therapy journey, when I was first going to therapy in my twenties, because I was someone, you know, I didn't really grow up in a house where we talked about feelings, where we talked about emotions Mm -hmm. and I didn't have a foundation really to understand how my thoughts impacted how I feel and what was really going on with me. I had a lot of anxiety also. And so for me, CBT kind of gave me that foundation that I felt like I didn't quite get growing up. I started to understand, wow, what is a feeling? I can actually name my feelings and that can be really helpful. 
wow, I can think about what I'm thinking about and I can decide, does that thought make sense or do I need to change it? And it can be so, so helpful, especially with like what you were talking about, panic attacks, anxiety, because usually we're looking at things through this lens of everything is terrible. Something terrible is going to happen. And it creates a lot of fear in our bodies. So I often use CBT with folks. It's kind of like a foundation to teach about paying attention to thoughts, paying attention to feelings and learning how to recognize those things and then kind of switching into another modality when we really focus more directly on the trauma. So, you know, you've kind of seen how helpful it can be and, you know, maybe even seen Mm -hmm. some of the limitations of it. For sure. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I just want to make it very clear that, you know, claiming that, that one modality, especially one where it's like, just change your thoughts, you know, Mm -hmm. like that can be insensitive and and in many ways insulting to some people who, um, where it doesn't work, where they need a different modality. So it's definitely not a one size fits all, but it can be helpful for, for some. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of TILT is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the TILT Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. And uh, one of the things that we have not talked about here on the show with a therapist is how you work with victims of crimes. I know that's um, like a very specific niche, if you will. So can you, I'm just going to leave the, the question wide open. Um, maybe tell us like what a typical, what it might look like somebody that comes to you or what are the typical scenarios? Um, you know, I don't know how much information you can give out, but I, I have a feeling there's people listening who 
have experienced that and maybe don't, you know, haven't even put it together that maybe they need therapy specifically for that situation, for that experience that they had. Working with crime victims is something that I really enjoy and it is definitely something that can be challenging. The majority of crime victims that I work with come through, it's actually a state program in California. So if there's anyone out there who is in California and you've been a victim of a crime in the past three years and you have a police report, you can actually apply and get up to 40 sessions paid for by the California Victims Compensation Board. There are definitely hoops to jump through because like I said, you have to have Mm -hmm. a police report and other things, which many crime victims don't have. But if that is maybe something that you could access, it's an incredible resource um, because like I said, 40 sessions for free. Being a crime victim can be very complex because not only is there the initial victimization that someone experiences, you know, what the actual crime was, but if you are then coming through that CalVCD program, like I said, the crime victims I work with often do, you're also involved in the criminal justice system. So that's almost like its own separate trauma. You Mm. are not only navigating the impact that this crime has had on your life, but now having to navigate, you know, working with a district attorney or city prosecutor and trying to give statements, um, navigating this kind of ongoing system where you're maybe asked to go to different court dates and you're not sure what's going to happen at those court dates. And you have to maybe sometimes see the perpetrator of the crime. And unfortunately, in my experience, our criminal justice system doesn't really meet the needs of crime victims. They are often not given the support that they need. There's a lot of uncertainty around what's going to happen, and not everyone gets the result that they want, which is usually for the perpetrator to be held accountable. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of grief involved with trauma work with crime victims. You know, there's a huge loss of sense of safety and security, of course. But when you kind of add on the layer of not feeling like the criminal justice system has served you in a way that was meaningful, which I think, you know, if you've never really been involved in court cases or criminal justice system, we kind of have this expectation that that's what it's there for, right? They're going to go out there. They're going to arrest the bad guy. They're going to hold him accountable. Exactly, Mm -hmm. right? They're going to protect us. And it doesn't always go that way. And so there's also then this kind of loss of security just in the world and even of our relationship to our like government and social systems. And so we really have to hold a lot of space, not just for that individual experience of crime victimization, but again, like how does this shape my view of the world and my place in it when things that maybe I believed in before, like the police or the legal system, when I feel like those have failed me. And there really is a huge sense of loss there um, and having to kind of make new meaning around that, which is, you know, another reason in my work, I do bring in a lot of discussion around not just your individual experience, but kind of all the, the social systems that we also have to live within and the ways that those can sometimes serve us and the ways that they don't. Um, it's, mm-hmm. It can be pretty complex. And I'm grateful that I get to work with these victims because it can be a long and ongoing process. These things can take years. I bet some of them take so much longer than you would expect. Yes. Just years and years of, of court being postponed and paperwork and hoops and all of those things that you mentioned. So it's so, so interesting. And, um, 
I just, I, my heart goes out to, to people who have, who have really struggled with that. And it's just, it tends to, to stay with you for a long time mm-hmm. from what I understand. Um, is there anything, uh, before we close up, is there anything, I know we kind of jumped around to several different topics and I so appreciate your time today. Is there anything else you want to mention or, or leave us with? I definitely will ask you like where people can find you, but anything that we may have missed that you want to make sure that you mentioned before, before we close up. One thing I just want to make sure that everyone really understands is that healing from trauma is possible. And there are oftentimes things that maybe we do in service of our healing and maybe we feel like it didn't work or it wasn't helpful. And that can be very frustrating. We feel like we're the only one who's ever gone through something. How could anyone ever understand this? Or maybe we've had things and they bring us a lot of shame. So we don't dare to talk about them with others. But healing from trauma is possible and it happens in safe relationship with others that can be a therapist. And I definitely recommend shopping around for your therapist, almost as if you were dating, Mm -hmm. making sure it's someone you feel comfortable with, making sure you feel a connection, you feel a sense of safety. And if you don't go to someone else, because that healing relationship is really what's most important. That can also be with friends, that can be with loved ones. I mean, that can even be with pets. One of the things that heals trauma is healthy, safe, and loving relationships. And so do not be discouraged. Know that there are many treatment modalities out there. If maybe you've tried, for example, a CBT therapist and you felt like you hit a wall, maybe you did EMDR and you felt like it didn't really work for you. There are many different approaches and you can absolutely heal. I love that. Thank you so much for that. And I I just want to tag on to that because, you know, as someone who experienced trauma and um, shoved it all down for several years, and then I got sober and then I was like, oh, I need to deal with all that stuff that happened. It was kind of a big deal. I have felt often that each different therapist I see along with the different modality, it does, I would say, mm, I don't know. I hope I'm not in the minority here. Maybe I am. It's a lot of times three steps forward and two steps back that I initially, you know, we're making progress and then maybe we close up the relationship. And it's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever worked in, in retail or customer service, like when you have the training and then you come out and you're like, okay, I'm ready. And you're like excited. And it's fresh. And then you go out into like the store or get on the phones with people and like you get kind of beat down a little bit. And then you're like, maybe this wasn't as great as I thought it was going to be. That's how I have felt a a lot of time. Like I feel great coming out of the gate and then it, and then I kind of step backwards a little bit. However, progress is always being made. Even if it is three steps forward and two steps back, you're always take. I feel like I'm always taking a step forward. Um, I don't know if that's common or <laughs> I'm just weird. No, it absolutely is. And I, you know, one thing that that kind of makes me think of is also that I think healing means different things to us at different points in our life. So mm-hmm. maybe what you got with that first therapist, you know, it may have felt groundbreaking at the time, right? Like I kind of talked right. about earlier, like, wow, I can name the feeling. Wow, I can recognize my thoughts. To me, that was groundbreaking at the time. And it worked then. And then I had to kind of go back out and live life again. And then new things come up or you have more self-reflection or a little bit more insight into yourself as you grow and you mature and your needs change. So when we think about trauma therapy, there's kind of different phases that we go through and you may not probably won't do them all at once. There is like first an aspect of safety and stabilization that really needs to happen. 
And that's learning those core skills, like recognizing thoughts and feelings, learning how to cope, learning how to soothe yourself, learning how to talk kindly and compassionately to yourself. Once that foundation is there, it may not be right then, or it may be later that you really do go deeper into trauma processing. And then maybe you take a break because I think having time to integrate what we learn in therapy and not kind of staying in therapy four years and years at a time is always always best. And then eventually we have to develop this like new sense of self. Who am I after this trauma? What are my values? How do I want to live my life in the meaningful way? So this doesn't need to happen all at the same time, right? We can have time to grow and learn and develop in between these healing experiences, but it's not always linear as much as we would love for it to be right. Um, Mm -hmm. There's sometimes setbacks or new things that come up. And so, you know, what you feel, Andrea, I think we all do as we share this complex human experience, but as long as in the end, we know we're moving forward. Well, thank you for normalizing, normalizing my experience, which I'm sure is helpful for people who are listening. And I, I appreciate this so much. I learned several things today with you and you are at longbeachtraumatherapy.com. And from what I understand, your practice is full right now, correct? You're not taking on any brand new clients. Okay. I think you and 99% of the therapists, uh, in in the United States and beyond. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's Um, a tough time. I know that, you know, our mental health service system is just, we don't have as many therapists as we need. It's been really hard to you know, for everyone to navigate life and pandemic and everything mm-hmm. else that's been going on. So the need is just so high. Well, maybe if someone wants to, they can get put on your waiting list. Um, but you can definitely go to longbeachtraumatherapy.com and read more about the different modalities that, that Vanessa does. Is there anywhere else that you want to send people in order to get to know you better or get on your mailing list or anything like that? You can find me on Instagram. So on Instagram, I'm at the underscore trauma therapist. And you can also find me on TikTok. And on TikTok, I am the trauma therapist, no underscore. So I like to post, you know, helpful tidbits and information there. Um, If you're interested in learning more, just kind of getting to know me a little bit better. I'd love to connect with you all there. Yeah. And that's where I found you. That's where I find so many awesome, smart people. (laughs) It's it's really on TikTok. (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much, Vanessa. This has been so incredibly helpful. And everyone remember it's our life's journey to make ourselves better humans and our life's responsibility to make the world a better place. Bye for now. Hi there. Swinging back by to say one more thing. You know how I'm always giving advice over here on the show and on social media, and a couple of those things is that I'm always telling you to ask for what you want, be clear about it, and also ask for help. So I am taking a dose of my own medicine, and I'm going to do that right now. It would be the absolute best and mean the world to me if you reviewed and subscribed to this show, Make Some Noise Podcast, on whatever podcast platform of your choice. And even more importantly, it would matter so much if you shared this show. Sharing the show is one of the few ways the podcast can grow, and that also gives more women an opportunity to make some noise in their lives. You can do that by taking a screenshot when you're listening on your phone and sharing it in your Instagram or Facebook stories. If you're on Instagram, you can tag me at Hey Andrea Owen, and I try my best to always reshare those and give you a quick thank you DM. And also, you can tell your friends and family about it. Tell them what you learned. Tell them a really awesome guest that you found on the show that you started following. Whatever it is, I appreciate so much you sharing about this show. 
I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.